When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of the ITB podcast is our first in a series of USMLE Step 1 postmortems, although some of them recorded back towards July. Uh, so it's kind of like a pre-mortem too, for those of you who will be taking the Step 1 exam here in a few months. Essentially, we're interviewing Stuart, going through his experience with the exam, what he wished he had known, uh, what he feels like. Uh, he could have done better in terms of preparation, the various resources that he used, and all sorts of practical tips on how to study, prepare, and take the USMLE Step 1, especially with a focus on the whole dedicated study period. So, here you go. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. And now here's your host, Patrick Beeman. All right, welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. I am Patrick Beeman, your host, with co-host Stuart Bryant, who is back from his vacation. <laughs> That's a great way to describe it, Patrick. Yeah, so um, you just got done with uh, step one, um, and now you're into third year. So we kind of wanted to do a little bit of a, a post-mortem on taking that terrible test that everybody worries about. Um, but before we do that, you are in neurology now. So we are going to do a little neurology question. Um, from our Step 2 Audio Cue Bank, powered by our friends at Online MedEd. Here we go. Today we have a 57-year-old female who presents with left-sided weakness, especially in the left upper extremity. She was sitting at home on a chair when she began to feel tingling in her arm and was unable to move it from the elbow down. Her symptoms began two hours ago, Past medical history is positive for hypertension, diabetes, and dyslipidemia. On physical examination, she is afebrile, and the rest of her vitals are also within normal limits. Physical examination further shows both weakness and decreased sensation in her left upper extremity associated with hyperreflexia at the elbow joint. Her EKG shows a normal sinus rhythm and Routine labs are within normal limits. Which of the following is the best test to confirm the diagnosis in this patient? Is it A, CT scan of the head? B, a 2D echocardiogram? C, a CT angiogram of the head and neck? D, an ultrasound of the carotid arteries? Or D, or excuse me, E, MRI of the brain. All right. So she's having a stroke, right? 
Sounds what like it sounds a, like. Even I can yeah. tell that. Yeah, no, so that's a nice thing about these uh, vignettes. The more information they give you, the more clued in you should be to there's a stroke happening here. With my limited experience of neurology and step two questions, I'm finding that a lot of the questions are really management, diagnosis, treatment kind of based. And the main crux of them is that interrogative yet again, just like in step one. So this one's asking, what's the best test to confirm the diagnosis? You have to actually play the game here and say, that's not the same as what is the first thing you would do to test for this patient's diagnosis. Yeah, essentially this is this is like, okay, what's the gold standard versus the more common question, what's the, the best next step in management? And often, well, all the time, you do not want to confuse those two by reading the question too fast and jump into an answer. So you have to keep that distinction in mind when you're looking at diagnosis-based interrogatories. That would be a summary of my advice here. So a few different categories. The straight-up one, what is this diagnosis? Those are the ones you hope for because those tend to be uh, the easiest. The best next step in management would be another in the interrogatories uh, related to diagnosis. And then the sorts of things that ask, uh, what are the gold standards? So which is the best way to confirm the diagnosis is one way to put it. Or which of the following laboratory studies is most consistent with uh, the diagnosis in this patient, the most likely diagnosis in this patient. There's a number of ways to put it. But I think you can break it down generally to what's the gold standard, what's the next step, and what is it? So with this one, like you said, it's of the gold standard type. So, right. But I, I may have interrupted you, so go ahead. Oh, no. Uh, I mean, you're, you're getting into exactly what I'm saying. Is like all of these questions seem to fall under one of these uh, categories of how we're asking this question uh, for this patient presentation. And this one's asking the best way to confirm the diagnosis. The best way to confirm the diagnosis of stroke is an MRI of the brain. Now, I can, I can hear you all wincing at me for saying that because you're probably like, but you would do a CT of the head first, right? Exactly. That's what the audience <laughs> is hearing. And that's what the jumpy gunners are going to want to say too. But it's, it really comes down to active reading, active listening when you're talking about these things too. Because if you ask, what's the best way to confirm a diagnosis? You have to keep in mind the distinction. It really is. What is the, the most effective, the greatest, has the greatest ability to confirm the diagnosis? And that is truly MRI. It's the most right. kind of detailed way you can see most, uh, you know, brain parenchymal problems, I guess, but it takes longer and it's yeah. more expensive and that delay can interfere with interventions, which is why probably, especially for you out there who are third years, one of the things you want to drill into your mind is that somebody comes in with a suspected stroke the best next step in management is a non-contrast CT scan of the head to categorize whether or not it's a hemorrhagic or ischemic stroke 
uh, first and foremost, because that has implications for whether or not you can give uh, a certain treatment. And do you know what that is as I pimp you? <laughs> so TPA is going to be the main one, but that's also going to deal with time frame uh, for the stroke as well. That is true. And um, there's probably a little bit of controversy or confusion surrounding that. But what have your attendings been telling you? What have you read thus far? Yeah. So with TPA, if we're going to give it the, the window that I've kind of heard, you know, for this argument is between uh, three and six hours with most people settling on four and a half hours is a happy medium, I guess. Yeah. And then um, a, a notable exception to that is uh, that window is shorter depending on if it's a vascular path or someone with, say, diabetes. Um, so I've heard three hours for a diabetic. Okay. Yeah, and, that- you know, I guess the nuance gets more in detail there. And I don't know it enough to to give you more <laughs> than that. Well, um, I I guess uh, there, there are a few items. So um, looking in terms of absolute contraindications to TPA, in patients who have an acute ischemic stroke within three hours of, of symptoms would be, uh, number one. Oh yeah. Number one, uh, minor symptoms. So if, uh, you have finger weakness, probably don't want to go that big or maybe just facial droop. Although I would have to defer to an actual neurologist, um, to sort that out. But my clinical judgment would say something of that nature would would not warrant a big gun like uh, TPA. Let it lie? What's that? You would let it lie in that case? Um, That would be my guess. Yeah. Unless there's a list in the review books that says, what are the, the minor presentations of stroke? I would say you don't have to worry about that for a, a shelf exam USMLE step two level. But that is not a promise, so look it up if this doesn't make any <laughs> sense. I would say, uh, so the next one would be an active bleed, yeah, or surgery, recent surgery. Those who are taking an anticoagulant, uncontrolled hypertension because... Um, hypertensive uh, disease can is more likely to be a hemorrhagic stroke, if I'm not mistaken. That's somewhere deep in my memory banks. Just looking at uh, this question, these are the, the items that would stick out to me. I like it. We're going to have more on neurology uh, in our mini step two study smarter series. So neurology, more to come. Let's Let's get into med student lifestyle stuff so <laughs> and uh experience so how was step one how how are you feeling and mind you uh, we are recording this before Stuart has his score back yeah so i'm about a week out from my score and we'll probably record more after i actually have a number right yeah so at this point i took my exam the last week of June. And then I started my orientation for third year uh, two days later. So I got a day off, right? Good idea or bad idea? If you can plan to do it a little bit further up so you get a tiny bit more of a break, that might be a a better way to go, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I suppose that's obvious to say, but (laughs) um, 
I, I guess what I would ask you then leading up to it, you know, you took like, you know, 12 weeks off of ITB, you know, no, no big deal. Um, <laughs> uh, no regrets. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> we barely survived without you. So, you know, were you feeling more confident, say the two weeks leading up to the exam that you would have not, you wouldn't have developed that confidence had you not taken that extra two weeks or, um, did you feel like, oh man, I probably should have just taken it two weeks ago. I really have burned out my brain and am fatigued and I probably would have done just as well. Like what was your mindset? Yeah. So just a little background here. The reason I took it so close to starting uh, and not maybe the week prior or something is because, you know, if your school is a little behind with getting your uh, confirmation sent off to the NBME, you might not be able to schedule your test until after a few people have already scheduled their test, right? So that was what I was dealing with on my end. And because of that, I had the choice between the 11th of June and the 25th of June. And the 11th was absolutely hands down, you know, no holds barred. That was too early for me to be taking the exam. Uh, that would have been after maybe three weeks of studying. Uh, so I wasn't willing to commit to that. And then, you know, hopefully I was going for maybe like the 21st or 22nd kind of area. And I wound up with the 25th, which was later. And that's okay. But <laughs> you, like you were saying, did I really need that extra two weeks or so? And, uh, you know, by the time I actually got into the studying and doing all my questions and reviewing and seeing where my MBMEs were, you know, I probably could have taken it on the 11th and it would have been okay. Uh, I probably, you know, I'm not sure how much I was able to gain in terms of my score between then and the 25th, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I think, um, once you do get your score back, uh, we'll be able to, that, that will right. probably have some implications to this question as well. What did you do? What are the things practically that you did as a study strategy, Dedica right, yeah. dedicated study strategy, besides obviously listening on repeat to our audio cue bank, including the questions you yourself recorded? <laughs> Okay, so uh, just to be full disclosure here, I did not use our content what? much at all. Yeah, wow. I know. Come well, on, man, come on. It was for the reason that you mentioned is I'm I'm first off, I'm deathly allergic to my own voice. Yeah, same here. So uh, uh, that that's kind of tough to listen to you talk about or me talk about anything. Though it is kind of cool to to pull one up and hear you talk about something and sound like you are semi competent in it <laughs> at least, so that that was kind of nice. So I maybe listened to a half of an episode <laughs> uh, in, in realist in realistic terms. But please do not take Stuart's advice. Please tell your friends about the ITB podcast. The man thinks he can take some time off and. Uh, just ignore us completely, but um, that will no longer be the case. No more, uh, no more breaks are allowed. Yeah, exactly. I got my vacation. <laughs> I used it, used up all that time, so I have to work now. So I, I didn't really use any of that didactic content because I wasn't too concerned about 
listening to a lecture. And I'll give you my, the, the argument I would make was um, there are no questions on the board exam that require me just to push play and listen. Um, you know, someone over here is being all smart and talking about the like, well, what about when they give you audio for like a, a heart murmur or something? And like, uh, yeah, no, that's not really pertinent. So because of that, I wasn't concerned with spending that much time in that kind of material. And to further separate myself from that, I didn't really use first aid. What? Oh, God. Man, what am I like, doing? You're not using the best resources out there inside the boards, first aid, <laughs> sketchy. <laughs> or did you use UWorld? I did use UWorld. Okay. So I had done a passive UWorld prior to my dedicated prep. My first week of dedicated, I reviewed or I went through all the questions that I had gotten wrong in UWorld. How many were um, there? About 800. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it wasn't anything to shake or, you know, just sneeze at and be done with. So that took me a little while. How practically did you do this? Because if you get a 291, uh, people are going to want to know, did you look at the whole question? Did you retake them as an exam in tutor mode? Or did you just focus on understanding why you picked the incorrect answer choice and how yeah. you should have got to the correct one? Does that make sense? Yeah. And there's some nuance to that that I don't think we should get into just yet. Does that make sense? You know, because yeah. there... I, you know, the answer to that is a little bit of everything. Uh, and it really depended on how comfortable I was with that material or, you know, and sometimes that comfort might have been false, but, uh, comfort nonetheless, uh, I will say doing the wrong questions, the questions that I gotten wrong over again, before I reset the Q bank probably put me in a situation where when I was redoing QBank a second time, I felt like I had seen the content before. And obviously I had. Well, let me ask this. Do you feel like you learned certain patterns of mistakes that you had a tendency to make when picking wrong answers? And were you able to use the so-called like failures and getting some questions wrong as opportunities uh, to grow and, and learn and apply it in a, uh, a wider sense? Yeah, and, and I would say that there were rarely questions that I couldn't look back on and say, you know, I had no idea where we were going with that question. And there are a few like that. And certainly on step one, there are a few that are like that. Those but, are all experimental questions, though. So if you face those on a step one, just ignore them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't ignore them. But, you know, you just you tell yourself you it, it's okay, you know. <laughs> Uh, but with that, you know, I, I guess when I was doing a question and I got it wrong, I wanted to know what was the difference between the answer that I put and the answer that was actually correct. And why did I decide to go with the one that I did? And, you know, there'd be multiple reasons. Sometimes it would just be a semantic thing with how they had worded the question. Maybe they had thrown in some information that it made me think of a different kind of diagnosis or something. This kind of gets into a learning tip, I guess. 
UWorld, people talk about how well it kind of matches up with board questions and stuff like that. But I would argue that the purpose of the question writing is it's in itself. So you get stuff wrong and it makes you learn about it. And I kind of took advantage of that. When I was getting a question wrong, I was really using that as like a, a troubleshooting for my thought processes to where when I see something that goes down that kind of rabbit hole again in the future, uh, hopefully I've flushed out whatever problems I had when they had given me the question on UWorld. Okay. And that worked pretty well for me. <laughs> and we'll see how it goes for the, the whole score thing. <laughs> well, did you walk into the exam feeling confident, stressed, anxious? Um, oh, um, man, I have such a good story for this. This yeah. is great. You know how people are very thorough and they look at the where the testing center is and, you know, that kind of deal before they go and they plan and they pack and all that stuff. Well, I guess I spent plenty of time, you know, making sure I had what I wanted to take to the testing center. And I wasn't so concerned about where the testing center was. I just knew that it would be close enough for me to get to. Right. I, you know, through went into Google Maps and was just like Prometric. And it's, you know, their Prometric popped up. It was in a location. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be there and I'm going to go. So I left. Luckily, I had plenty of time before this test started. And I go, you know, do my commute. And I roll up to this basically uh, empty office space. Uh-oh. And I, you know, do a lap around it, make sure I'm not missing something. And then I'm like, yep, the testing center is not here. So don't do what I did. Make sure you look up where your dev- your uh, testing center is and don't necessarily trust Google. Turns out Google had the testing center from like three years back in its database still. So, so that could have been luckily, a story. <laughs> yeah, it could have. Luckily, it was not a terribly long drive, you know, probably 15 minutes to get to where I needed to be. And I had left early. So I ended up arriving, you know, within the time frame you want to kind of get to your test. That was probably a little anxiety provoking, as you can imagine. Um, but it gave me the opportunity to troubleshoot my problem and get where I needed to be. And it, I treated that as a, you know, I, I got something wrong. I had the opportunity to correct it. You know, that's my mistake for the day. I'm going to go do well on this test now. Yeah, actually, maybe it had a good effect because you start out your day before this test with kind of a warm up. Yeah. With the benefit of knowing I did actually get something wrong and I was able to fix it. Exactly. Maybe that's what's going to happen during the test. Yeah. And I could totally, this is, that was totally a frame of mind kind of thing. I could easily see anybody else having this happen and having a complete meltdown as well. And maybe if it had been on another day, that would have happened to me. So I, I was lucky in that aspect. <laughs> so. That that was my uh, pre-test troubleshooting experience, which uh, was a little anxiety provoking, but, you know, you can get past that too, right? Yeah. Other than that, you know, I got to my test and then I had to wait a little while to get checked in because I was a little late. Other people were there before me to get checked in. And once I got going, kind of chugged along. 
fun tip for all of you who have not taken step one, and I can share this. If you finish a section of your exam early, your extra time goes into your break time, Patrick. I did know that. It, it, even, you know, for, you know, the times uh, for us older people, that is true. Except I never really finished anything early. I always took like to the, <laughs> the last. I'm a very slow test taker, actually. Well, I am based on the way I studied. I was a blazing fast test taker. So I had the opportunity to go through all of the questions twice. And then I probably ended it with maybe five minutes just because I didn't want to I didn't want to sit and look at anything any longer. Yeah. And all t- every time those five minutes jumped into my break time and I was just blown away. So the real timing of the test is you have eight hours to take the test, you know, however you divvy that out, assuming you use on an hour for each block of 40 questions. Exactly. And, and I guess I didn't really know about that before. So I was trying to figure out how I was going to parse out my break time for like, you know, do I need to skip a block or take, you know, do two blocks back to back and then take a break and then two blocks and then take a break and then do one and break and one and break, you know, that kind of thing. And at the end of the day, uh, I was able to take a break after each one because of that little fairy dust is what I'm going to call it that piled up after each of my tests. And that comes down to me being a fast test taker and ending it when I did. But I would have liked to have known that before. So I'm sharing it now. (laughs) I mean, that's good. But uh, I guess I'd also like to know when you left the test, how did you feel? I was just tired. You know, I felt pretty good. Let me let me give you a a more pointed perspective. I got this email yesterday from a listener, and I warn you, if you have small children in the car, uh, turn down your volume at at one point. So I took my Comlex Level 1 today. It was absolutely brutal, brutal, and I feel literally ill. That's in all caps. Pardon me, but I'm going to be frank. That exam is one monumental-sized bullshit piece of Alice in Wonderland level of mindfuckery. That's a direct quote. Um, (laughs) But this Uh. listener did add, I feel terrible and said some more things about that. But she said, on my three-hour drive to the testing center, I did listen to the podcast. And not only did that uh, help alleviate some of the anxiety I was feeling about the impending exam, but... Uh, you guys gave me quite a few laughs as well, and I really needed some laughs at that point. So thank you, also in all caps. Did you feel as ill as this uh, listener describes? So Because I would I say I was we... pretty close to that when I left step one. I was like, oh my God, my life is over. Um, you know, real histrionic, kind of dramatic, like, you know, kill me now kind of thing. You know, there's this sort of... Um fallacy mental fallacy that people have when there's like some like natural disaster and they kind of their mind sort of just like acts like everything is normal so like there could be a tornado like maybe you know half a mile away from you and you're sitting there looking at it coming towards you and you're like everything's fine rearranging Um, chairs on the uh, sinking titanic yeah exactly that kind of mentality and I, i was probably there at the end of that test 
when I left. You know, I, I really just kind of was like, well, that happened. I got to go meet up with my girlfriend. We're going to go do a wine and paint thing. And uh, I'm going to have my day off. And then I start back up again. <laughs> uh, but my m- mind has probably been taking a mental holiday for the past three weeks. And I'm assuming I probably have a week left in that before I can really start to grind the gears a little bit again. And, yeah, because you, know, you have a neurology shelf coming up. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And uh, luckily, the neurology rotation for us is six weeks. So I have some time to uh, recoup and then get back to it. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm just kind of gassed. And I think that comes down to me not having a really solid break before getting back to third year, really. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I don't know. uh, I I think we should continue this conversation. Um, well, actually, we're pl- <laughs> we're planning to continue this uh, conversation uh, because we'd like to. Once you get your score, I think the the things we want to cover are in in practical terms, less so uh, generally, like we've discussed here, just to touch base. What did you learn about yourself, about medical education, about how to study and approach exams from taking step one? We'll do an episode on that. We've got one planned on what you wish you had known about step one and taking it and studying for it uh, in the first two years of medical school. Practical advice or things to change um, about your study or about taking the exam, such as ensure that Google has the correct address in there or ways or whatever app you're using. And then also, you know, Stuart has been with us almost since the beginning. And uh, July 17th, 2016 was our first episode. I think you came aboard fall sometime. And we followed your education from being a a first year uh, now to being a third year. So uh, you really are the ITB example of the hero's journey, hopefully. (laughs) Um, Unless you become like a terrible, jaded, uh, attending, abusive to your patients and (laughs) residents and med students, um, in in which case we'll just uh, deny ever knowing you. Uh, Funny sidebar here. Yeah. Do you know the the app called Scrub Wars? Yes, actually. So in it, there's the good attending and then there's this bad attending, which they call Peroni attending. Yeah. And do you know what that's referring to? Well, it's, it's Peyroni, right? Like Peyroni's yeah, disease? Yeah, Peyroni's disease. It is yeah. a penile problem, which even amongst us people trained in the art of medicine and uh, clinical detachment still strikes me as at least mildly amusing to this day. So it's the good attending and the dick attending? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, don't, Funny little sidebar. Don't be a Peyroni attending, I guess would be a take-home message. <laughs> first and second years who are listening, please continue to listen to us throughout uh, the next uh, couple of years because we'll be providing good advice and, and help for your exams, not only the ones you take in-house for school, um, but to at least lay some bricks in the foundation for your dedicated prep time when you face it in roughly a year or two years and for you, you know, clinical 
students out there taking your rotations, preparing for step two, our question advice and strategy stuff is the thing we pride ourselves on. We will continue to be working and collaborating with other experts in the medical education space to ensure that you don't feel so terrible after one of these standardized exams and you walk in there with at least a little more confidence than you would have had otherwise. At least that's the goal, right? I did notice we got two one-star reviews on uh, on uh, the podcast, and you know, with a hundred and like almost two hundred, you know, five star reviews, I was like, "Oh, come on! Are we that terrible?" And, you know, yeah. cut. They to didn't, the quick. and they didn't leave a review. They just, I know, if you rated think, it, yeah, exactly. If you, if Gosh, you uh, tell us how to improve, please, please, we're we're okay with constructive criticism, you know, or at least uh, hilarious or any entertaining destructive criticism because those can at least be entertaining well we'll check back in in a couple weeks good luck in your neurology clerkship and at the start of third year good luck to everybody starting a new phase of their education at the start of this academic year all right we'll be back next time with part two of the usmle postmortem series just a reminder our a few things Our audio QBank iOS beta app launches very soon. So head over to our website, sign up for our email list to be notified when that launches. And for those of you who are already subscribers, keep a lookout in your email on the new process for accessing the content. Next, don't forget about our Study Smarter podcast, question dissections for the USMLE Comlex and Medical School. You can click the link in the show notes to that. As well, we have the Medical Nemesis podcast focused on accelerated learning techniques. That's hosted by ITB's own Chase DeMarco. Please subscribe, leave a rating and a review of our shows just to help us in terms of getting the word out and ranking higher in the iTunes charts. Finally, if you are interested in helping ITB by becoming an ITB ambassador, send us an email to info at insidetheboards.com. We're looking for people to fill kind of a producer role on the podcast, help us with editing audio QBank content, social media management, you name it. If you got some free time, an hour or two a week would be most helpful. We appreciate it, and we'd like to build ITBs with you. Happy studying. See you back next time. And once more, thanks to the band Knights. That's Knights with two eyes and sun pedal recordings for letting us use the song So Into You off Knights' newly released album, Hellebores Part 1. You can check them out wherever you stream music or click the link in the show notes to hear more on Spotify. I'm so in